Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. It's really good to see everybody. We've got some new faces, some people moving into the area and uh, joining with us. We'd like to welcome everybody who's listening by podcast this morning. Thanks for uh, downloading us and tuning us in. I recently came across a study, and I, you know how you do when you find something on the internet now, it's so easy, you just click the next link and click the next link. And I, and I ended up reading all this broad, wide variety of articles on elderly folks, specifically nursing homes, nursing home communities, that were opening themselves up to younger people coming in. In one specific instance they had in Cleveland, they had a music school that had a shortage of housing for their college students, and then they had a elderly nursing home that had some open apartments. And in exchange for free rent for the music school students and for the music school students to interact with the inhabitants or the, the residents there and do some free concerts, uh, they got to live for free with this. And what they found is that, yeah, it helped the financial situations of both. It helped, the, it helped the carry the load for the nursing home staff, and it obviously helped the the students, uh, what they didn't anticipate was that the physiological effects, the people in the house, the elderly people in the house started to get healthier. Across the board, blood pressure dropped. Uh, evidence of dementia, experience of dementia was postponed and slowed. Um, depression dropped dramatically among those. And they showed how that interaction is beneficial. And like I said, I've looked at all these different studies where as now they're even planning communities like this. They're intentionally planning communities like that. And it's real easy to see. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that when you read the study and you read the thing and you, you understand, yeah, there's some problems, there's some obstacles, but the benefits far outweigh any of the obstacles to that. It just makes sense. Well, folks, that, that's what the church is always supposed to be. The church in its original intent, its original design, is always supposed to be multi-generational, as well as multi-ethnic, as, as, as well as multicultural. At its very core identity, the church is called to be the ultimate display of diversity that has ever been created. But those benefits are, are a little bit harder for us to see. It's harder for us to measure. And so this morning as we talk about this idea of unity, hopefully we will create a more robust imagination around that, understand the benefits of it, and come to see that no matter what the obstacles, the immediate obstacles might be, the benefits far outweigh any of those. So pray with me if you would. Jesus, you are welcome here. This is your church. It's not ours. It's yours. And it is ours so much as you invite us to participate. Thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for giving us a place where we can get beyond our own selves where we can live for something more than just our own selfish instincts. Thank you for the challenge and the gift of church. 
We're here because of you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. These four Sundays, as we kick off the, the school year, we've been looking and kind of residing in the verse in, in uh, 2 Peter 1. And let's just kind of review as we, as we read that together. Again, we're reading from the message paraphrase. It says, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we've ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, completing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put this off, do it now. Do this and you'll have a life on firm footing, the streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our master and savior, Jesus Christ. So we've centered these four works, these four weeks around kind of four ideas. The first is imagination, last week it was practice, this week, it is this idea of unity. And next week, as we fully kick off and go into our year, purpose. So we want to look at what that means. We want to look at what unity of what it means to be united this week, not only here this morning, but in your individual studies as you develop that and in your grace groups as you meet with them this weekend, and specifically asking three questions. How does unity reveal the gospel? What do we mean by unity? And what, preserve, what practices foster healthy community? What practices preserve it? It's, it's weird when I say this. Because I know I'm saying the words, but it's kind of like one of those things where we swim in it so much it seems so obvious and you say it and you go, yeah, of course, and then you just kind of move on. But I wanted, to, I wanted to sit with us for a minute, this idea that the gospel is best and most obviously expressed in how we treat others. Now, let me say that again. The gospel is best and most obviously expressed in how we treat others. When Peter is writing this letter and, he's, and he talks about the passionate patience, the warm friendliness, and the generous love, those are not things that happen in isolation. Those are not things you can practice by yourself. You cannot be loving in a vacuum. You cannot be friendly alone. These are only things that happen in the dynamic of interpersonal relationships and most often in community. There's no other 
place for those to develop other than that. And the church is to be the place where the highest expression of love for God and others is practiced. Now for most, those may, or for many, those may sound like high ideals, but your experience has been anything but that. Often, the church has failed miserably. And understand, when I say this, I'm not pointing a finger at the church outside of myself. As a representative of the church, as someone who's deeply committed to it, I own this. I own my own culpability, and I also own the culpability, historically, of the church. We failed miserably, often being hopelessly sidetracked and distracted, and so often pathetically co-opted by governments and politics, movements and ideologies, that if it weren't so tragic, it would be comedy. But that's reality. This very thing, this core identity, this very thing that is supposed to define the church, that is supposed to be what the church is about, is oftentimes the things that we have failed at the most. We haven't done it well, if we are honest with our history. That's why we need constant reformation. We're going to look at this coming up this fall. We've talked about it. We're going to, in the light of the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his theses to the church door in Wittenberg, as we look at that, we're going to see how reformation is not just a one-time event. It's not something that just happened and then we got everything right and everything's been rosy since then. No, yeah, I, I'll take the chuckle as an amen. Uh, but reformation is something that inherently we need to be constantly reforming, always reforming, always dealing with that going forward. And the reason why is because there's no plan B to church. There is literally no other way. There, there's no new and better way that we're going to express the gospel. Church is all we have. It's all we've ever had, and it's all we will ever have. That's it. There's no opting out. There is never an option for the follower of Jesus to go it alone, even if such thing were possible. Unity is the ultimate revelation and witness of the reality of the gospel to the world. It is also a form of spiritual warfare. It's the primary term or tool for discipleship and transformation, and it is the only legitimate answer to addressing the deadly systemic effects of sin so evident in our world. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, as recorded by John, he said, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I have loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love you have for each other, you cannot love in the abstract, and you cannot love from a distance, and you cannot love without commitment. And all those things are what call us to unity, to community. 
Paul echoes this when he writes to the Ephesians, the church, when he's encouraging them. He says, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Unity, in many ways, is the motivation, it is the way, and it is the end goal. It is part of everything. So what do we mean by unity? If it's that important, if it's that central to our faith, if it's that central to our identity as Christians, what do we mean by that? Well, before we say that, it's, it's it's probably a little bit easier to start off by saying what unity isn't, what unity is not. We're not talking about uniformity. We're not talking about homogeneity or some monochromatic sameness. And it is not primarily structural, although it does have a structure. It's definitely not static. It is not something that we achieve and then can just move on from that. In a, in a lot of ways, unity leaves no room for nostalgia, for some imagined past when we had it right, if we could just get back there. It's not static in that way. It is always adapting itself to the context and the people where it is. And maybe the most disturbing is it's not a feeling. I, I, look, I've been doing this ministry thing for a long time. Y'all know that. And I feel like I've witnessed so many fads, so many things that have come through the church. Like, this is going to be the next new deal, and this is going to be the thing that does it. And we're going to, if we just get people to do this. And what I've identified by almost all of those movements, <clears throat> is that they're emotionally driven. They stir up, they gin up kind of this feeling of, hey, this is good. And listen, feelings aren't bad, but they're not going to sustain us. I mean, if, if our marriages, let's just be honest, if our marriages, if our family, if we, if we just base that totally on how we felt at any given moment, Whose would ever survive? And in the same way, this unity is not preserved by just finding a place where it constantly feels good or the next place that it feels good. Oftentimes, we try to sustain that feeling. And Alex talks a lot about this when, he, when we do the Discovering Grace class. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he talks about the, there, there's one very obvious way to maintain unity, and that's just to constantly surround yourself with people who think like you and smell like you and act like you and prefer the same things you do, and, and constantly just narrowing that definition, getting it smaller, smaller, your group tighter and tighter. You can achieve a, a degree of unity that way, but it's incredibly exclusive. And that's another thing 
that is the mark of Christian unity is that it is profoundly inclusive. Listen, listen, we spent three years reading the, through the Synoptic Gospels, and constantly Jesus was opposed by people who were offended at his inclusivity. Here was this righteous preacher who was constantly calling out to the lepers and the prostitutes and the Gentiles and the women and the, those that were excluded by the righteous of the time. <clears throat> Christian unity is profoundly inclusive in its reign. The other thing is, it is supernatural. Ultimately, it's not anything we can achieve on our own. Ultimately, it's not something that we just do by effort or appeal to logic or self-interest or some utopian pipe dream. It's hard work, yes, but that hard work will never be enough. Ultimately, this unity is a gift, and it is our primary calling <clears throat> as followers of Jesus to encourage this gift. So what does that? What ultimately preserves that unity? What is it that brings us together? Well, and why do we say preserves? One of the, probably the biggest revelation that we had as we were working through this text is the teaching team this week, as we looked at it, we understood that unity is something that already exists. And I don't know about y'all, but when I heard this, it just it kind of lifted this burden off me. It lifted this weight off me. Every day I try to pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm, it's part of my practice. I, I try to concentrate. I try to slow down. I try to start my day by praying the Lord's Prayer. And anytime you do that, there's the temptation that it becomes rote, that it just becomes... You, your mind can kind of dress, drift off. You can just kind of do it without really thinking about it. But as I meditated on that, and especially the verse that says, on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, here among us at Grace Church, as it is in heaven. What's going on in heaven? What is happening in heaven? Well, there's lots, but one of the things we can tell you is unity is happening in heaven. We are a Trinitarian people as Christians. Our faith is rooted in the idea that there is a complex yet perfect unity among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but we are a people who believe that what is described by the vision that John had that he recorded in the book of Revelation, which we're going to get to uh, within the next year, is something that is already established. It's something that's already happening. And that ultimately we're going to be able to participate. In, in Revelation 7, he records it this. He says, I looked again and I saw a huge crowd. Too huge to count. Everyone was there. All nations and tribes, all races and languages. 
And they were standing dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb and heartily singing, salvation to our God, just like Alex led us this morning, salvation to our God on His throne, salvation to the Lamb. All who were standing there around the throne, angels, elders, and animals, fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, oh yes, the blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, the honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever and ever. Oh, yes. Now you want to talk about something that will stagger the imagination. Add into the unity of people, animals, and angels. What is happening in this place? Where the unity is so profound, it so invades every aspect of creation that all creation is together. So ultimately, this unity is not anything that we're called to create. Because our unity so often is toxic. Our unity, let's use our little air quotes around that, the unity that we create is so often evidenced by the things that I described it's not. It's monochromatic. It's exclusive. It's grasping. It's selfish. It builds walls. It sets people apart. It ranks people. Imagine. Use the word unity and ultimately what you say is, yeah, we're, we're together because we're better than those other people. toxic in death dealing and its effects when we when it is left up to us to build it that's not the unity that we're talking about here that's not the unity that is given to us as a as a church the unity that we seek to lean into that we seek to practice that we seek to preserve that we seek to cultivate that we seek to experience is the unity that comes from heaven Described in these verses and in other places, described by the witness and the testimony of our Lord Jesus as he walked this earth. So what practices foster that healthy community? What can we do to cultivate that? Well, there's no magic formula. I wish I could say there was. I'm not going to give you some kind of set of rules to do that because that ends up messing the whole practice up. I would encourage you, though, to go back and listen to last week's lesson because this unity is not preserved by direct effort. It's not, it's not preserved by anything we do. We, we just have to be faithful to the things we know we can do and then allow God ultimately to bring what is desired. It's not something we just create by our own effort and it's it's something that takes practice and rhythm. Go back the week before that and listen to Norma's teaching on the imagination because we have to have an imagination for it. We have to, we have to in a way, we have to get a sign, a smell, a taste of what we are to expect if we are going to be sustained in that effort. And God is faithful. God is faithful to give that to us. 
Do the things that you know to do. Live your life by what you can do. By what you do know to do. Show up. Participate. Share. Give and receive. Dig in, especially this time of year, and reorient your practices, your rhythms, your routines that prioritize community, that prioritize developing this. And maybe most of all, just open your eyes and keep your eyes open to what's happening all around us. Kim Patron sent us, a few of us, a really cool testimony that I want to, I kind of paraphrased it a little bit this morning. But as I read it, I thought, that, that's it. That's a sign, that's a symbol of what we're talking about this morning. It goes like this, so. In sixth grade, Lou Jr. told his mom, Kim, about a kid who was having a hard time making friends. When asked the boy's name, Lou replied, I don't want to tell you because you'll make me be his friend. Now, there's a kid that knows his mom. But a few weeks later, the school had a spirit week with different dress-up days, one of those which was twin day. Now, I never had this when I was a kid, but maybe you all know what it is. So they had twin day. Well, things like this aren't a favorite in the Patron house as they understand how this can make some kids feel excluded. Lou decided not to twin up that day, but instead wore his usual school uniform, school uniform, of a t-shirt and shorts, which I saw he was sporting this morning as well, right? Um, Now that's regardless that it was winter and it was a freezing cold day with that. Before the first bell rang, he was shivering cold in the school, and he saw that same boy wearing a horrendous, goofy sweater and holding a matching one. The boy was going to twin up with another boy for this event and had been stood up, left hanging. So not only was he isolated, he was wearing a really goofy sweater. When he saw Lou turning blue, shivering, (laughs) he asked Lou to twin up. Without hesitation, Lou said, yeah, put the sweater on. Lou later told his mom, he said, Mom, my first thought was God provides. I was cold, and God gave me a sweater. That boy needed a twin, and God gave him a twin. Man, talk about one to remember. Keep your eyes open. I want to add one other thing to that story, though, as I read it. Because, yes, we can see God's provision in the immediate. But in a way, that's also a little bit descriptive of how it works for us on a larger scale as the church. Sometimes we feel like Choosing a church is helping out a hapless friend with a goofy sweater, right? I mean, we show up and we kind of go through these routines and these rhythms and these practices that feel awkward, kind of make us stand out in ways that we may not be comfortable with, identify us with people that aren't necessarily the coolest people in town, aren't necessarily the most hip, the most happen, and the most successful. If you haven't experienced this yet, you will. 
increasingly as we go through time. It will become less and less a good thing to be identified with the church. But at the same time, without it, we're left shivering in the cold. We're left exposed. We're left without even the basic need of fellowship, comfort, and warmth. See, we're left standing. It's we who are left standing, freezing, needing warmth and community. And God is constantly asking us both to give and receive in unexpected and sometimes uncomfortable, but utterly undeniable ways. If we keep our eyes open and our hearts open, as Lou did on that cold day in sixth grade, we will stand to experience the unity, the true unity that we're called to. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. As we prepare to come to the table, we, we don't get it because we go to the restaurants. We go through the lunch line. We eat with people all the time who kind of we're not necessarily close to. When this tradition was established, when this table was first set by Jesus, who was invited to the table made all the difference. There were strict rules, strict practices, strict cultural mores that governed this. And Jesus invited us all. He broke down every barrier. He broke down every wall. He did away with every demeaning way of dividing and brought us together at this table. This is symbolic of the unity that we are given and called to at this table. It is open to everyone who is seeking Jesus regardless of your condition, of your class, of your status. Jesus enforced this by taking the bread that night, holding it up and breaking it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Opening that door for everyone to come in. And then likewise, he took the wine that night and he said, this is my blood, poured out as a sign of the new covenant, as a way of understanding that all were now welcome and all were included. So as we approach this table this morning, do so in recognition that this is symbolic of the gift that we have been given of unity, the gift we have been given of each other at this time to identify with, to be warmed by, to help, to give and receive with, and be encouraged as we go out with a new imagination to cherish and practice that. Thank you for being here this morning.